this um, season of waiting and expectation for Jesus' return and um, the, the present darkness of the world and yet the hope of the light that is common is coming. And I'll tell you in a second if I can see. Is there an, maybe an overhead light just above me that I could have on? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. So we're in Luke chapter 24. And uh, this is really sweet. Normally, you know, when you come through Jesus' death and resurrection, um, one sermon on his death and one on his resurrection, and we get two and two because we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I appreciate that extended time at this place of the cross uh, because of just what how how profound of a thing it is. All of human history hangs on this moment. And so just being able to sit here for a while as a congregation, as a church family, is sweet. So part one of the resurrection was last week, and part two is this week. Nobody's actually seen Jesus yet, right? They went to the tomb, and it was empty. They hadn't seen him. They were wondering, and they were wondering. One of them was in awe, Peter was in awe, and the women were sort of despondently wondering. And so we pick up this morning at verse 13, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. And I'd like to pray before I read. Lord, as we read your word, and as I preach this morning, Would you reveal yourself to us? Lord, would you give us uh, eyes to see your presence in our midst and in our lives? And would you minister to hearts? Pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions 
went to the tomb and found it just as Jesus had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish and you are and how slow to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord is risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The word of God. It's almost Christmas time. It's about two weeks. Two weeks exactly, right? Who, who can remember ever receiving a Christmas present that you really didn't like? That you were, that you were really disappointed in? Yeah? N- nobody else? Who's going to be honest? We've all had it. I'll tell you mine. I'm about 11 or 12 years old. And you know, for a kid, there's a real build-up to Christmas, right? I mean, you start thinking about it. After Thanksgiving, and the tree comes out, and the presents start coming under, you start just building up this expectation like, what are mom and dad going to get me this year? And, and um, normally it was really, I was just delighted with whatever I got. But this year, I don't know, I don't know where the idea came from, but, but they got me a dartboard. And I just was not interested in a dartboard. It had never crossed my mind to want a dartboard. And so I was devastated. And, and, and I went downstairs after we were done opening all of our Christmas presents as a family. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to show them I was devastated because it felt kind of silly to be upset. But I cried. Oh, I cried over getting a dartboard. And my dad came down and he found me. And then I felt even sillier because I got to explain to him why I'm upset about the dartboard that he gave me. And I ended up Uh, having just a tremendous amount of fun with that dartboard. But that's not what mattered in the moment. What mattered was I had been expecting something. I'd been building up to it, and then it it was, it all came crashing down. So so much of the time, our um, disappointment has to do with our expectation. What are we... What are we hoping or longing for or expecting, and does that get fulfilled? And so sometimes it comes crashing down with dartboards and 
Sometimes it comes crashing down with, with much bigger things. And so we've got, I think we named it in family prayer. Maddie, you named it. We've got you know, hopes for family gatherings. And sometimes family gatherings turn into family fights or family tension. If Maybe it's not a fight. Maybe it's just unspoken tension. And so we look forward to being together. And then it, sometimes things don't go according to plan in much bigger ways. You know, sometimes it's, it's maybe the, we're looking forward to marriage and we don't find someone. Or we do and it's not the marriage that we were longing for. Maybe it's really hurtful. Maybe it ends in divorce. Maybe a lot of things. Maybe somebody that we love and that we that gets sick, we hope, we hope and we pray that they will be healed. And they're not. They die. We have these longings and these expectations. And when they're not fulfilled, when they come crashing down, it hurts. And so we all experience disappointment. Little ways, medium ways, horrible ways sometimes. And what do we do with our disappointment? How do we make sense of it? A lot of times we try to do with our disappointment exactly what these two disciples are doing as they're walking down the road. You can't necessarily tell it from the NIV. NIV says they're discussing these things together, but the word that Luke uses here means debate. And it's kind of a fierce debate. They're not having a back and forth conversation. They are they're debating with each other about what just happened. And they're trying to understand. They're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to wrap their minds around what just happened. What just happened? This is not the way the story was supposed to be written. This is not what we were expecting. We left our families. We left our villages. We left everything to follow Jesus. We believed He was the one sent from God that was going to redeem Israel and the world. And so they're feeling vulnerable. Maybe they're feeling ashamed for having followed him. They're confused. This is not without emotion. These people are raw. And and what they're trying to do is wrap their minds around it. Don't we do this so often when we're hurting? If I could only understand, we think, and the wheels spin. And they spin. If I could only understand, why did God let my spouse this? Why did God let this happen to my kids? Why won't this? Why won't my kids? Why won't my grandkids? You know, we, we try to understand, but it's not our understanding that's broken. It's not our understanding that hurts. It's our hearts that hurt. And Jesus knows that. And Jesus loves us. And Jesus loves these disciples. And so Jesus comes to these disciples. And he enters in. He enters in. Right beside them. Just kind of appears along the way. And he begins to engage them. And he asks, what are you talking about? And they, again the NIV says their their faces are downcast. The picture, the word picture behind the, the word that Luke uses is that they're um, in 
indignant. It's like, it's like they have an angry scowl on their face. Like Jesus' question draws out anger. And so the commentators say we should hear sarcasm in their response to Jesus. Like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Are you the only one who doesn't know? That's the tone. Why is that important? Because they are angry. And Jesus taps into their anger. When we're hurt, it usually comes out like anger. When people touch the stuff in us that's hurting, it comes out like anger. And the, the, the beautiful thing, I believe here, is that Jesus never minds their anger. Jesus doesn't get tripped up by it. Jesus doesn't get angry at them for being angry. Jesus doesn't sort of prove his rightness. He doesn't reveal himself right here. It's not the right time. Why, why does Jesus not do anything except say, what things? Because our Jesus is going for their hearts. He loves them. And he knows that there's pain in their hearts that needs to come out. And he, he offers them the opportunity to share that pain. In, in, it's almost like he says, what hurts? He says, what things? What things? And when Jesus says, what things? Oh, before, I want to say one more thing. Says, the text says, they were kept from seeing him. What does that mean? We should not hear that God was hiding Jesus. We should not hear that God was pre- actively preventing them from seeing They were kept, is a passive. They were blinded. Why couldn't they see Jesus? He had a resurrection body, but presumably it didn't look a whole lot different because at the end of the night, they recognized him together in that room, right? So why were they kept from seeing Jesus? Well, you cannot see what you do not expect to see. If your narrative is dead people stay dead and dead people don't rise from the dead, then you don't expect to see a dead person. And Jesus is dead. Or so they think. And so it can't be Jesus. See, you, you process things and experiences through what you believe. And if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, you're not going to see a dead person even if they're right in front of you. They can't see God because they don't have it in their worldview that he would be right there. A lot of times, it's hard for us to experience the presence of God with us in our lives because we don't expect the presence of God with us in our lives. We expect to be touched by the Lord every once in a while. Maybe on Sunday morning, in a worship service. Maybe when I open my Bible, I expect God to be present. Maybe a few other places. Maybe I expect him to surprise me now and then. But our narrative, our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, our storyline doesn't expect a Emmanuel, God with us all the time, wherever we are. And so we don't see it. It's not that God isn't present with us. We all 
sometimes speak those words of scripture that Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, nothing can separate you from me. Permanent presence. We talked two weeks ago about being united to Jesus, being one spirit with him, but who lives with a constant sense of connection to Jesus Christ and with an awareness of his presence? We cannot see, we don't experience what we're not expecting. Our worldview needs to change. Their worldview needed to change. It didn't allow for resurrection. They didn't have eyes for it. And so Jesus doesn't press the point too early. Jesus, again, sees their anger and wants to draw out their hearts. And so he says to them, what things? And then, blah! They dump, they dump it on him. That's what happens. That, that speech, five, six verses, is just, it's dumping This is what hurts. This is the things. This is what we had been hoping. This is what we'd given up our lives and our livelihoods for. For this Jesus. This hurts. It hurts. And what we've got to see is that God in Jesus approaches us and He asks He gives us the opportunity to get out what hurts. This is the lament that Pastor Gina was talking about earlier. This is why in the Christian church, until Jesus comes again, we do not sound a note of triumphalism that is not realistic. There is victory, there is new life, there is new creation, and we are going to talk about that. And there is pain in this world, real pain that really hurts, that really affects us, and God doesn't want us to ignore that. He wants us to be honest with Him about what hurts. He comes to these disciples that He loves. These are men, or one man and one woman, we don't know, that have been following Him, that have loved Him, and He loves His disciples. He says, I laid down my life for them. I love my sheep. And He comes to these sheep that are hurting, and He says, what things, because He wants them to get out of their hearts what hurts. And so much of the time, church, we keep in our hearts what hurts. We push it down. We stuff it. We bring it somewhere other than God. Maybe to the neighbor. Maybe to the pub. Maybe to the friend. But not actively to our God and Father. Opening up. This is what hurt. God, I had this expectation I longed for this thing in my life, in my relationships, for my children, for my grandchildren. God, here it is, bringing it out to Him. We have a God who wants to hear. Psalm 56, I think. Cast all your cares on the Lord, all your anxieties, because He cares for you. He cares for you. And He wants to care. He wants to express that care. But how can He be ex- express it if, it if it stays inside? And so it doesn't stay in. Jesus gives the opportunity for it to come out and it comes out. And you've got to hear Jesus' words, these next words through the frame of love. God is love and this rebuke, it's strong. But it's love. He says to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart 
to believe all the things that have been written about the Messiah? Did he not have to suffer first and then experience glory? And I believe that the reason Jesus is so direct, lovingly direct, is because he needs to cut through, very incisively, through a fog of confusion and unbelief. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Again, he doesn't say it earlier, he just shows it, but here he's saying, your narrative is wrong. In other words, you are believing the wrong things about God. You are believing the wrong things about what God has said about me and how he'll act in and through me and how God will act in the world. And when he says to them, when he rebukes them for being slow of heart to believe, what he's saying to them, in other words, is you don't have to be so despondent. You don't have to be stuck in this place of despair. You don't have to be experiencing what you're, the, the pain and the weight of what you're experiencing right now. Notice he's not saying that their circumstances would change. He's saying that if they weren't so slow of heart to believe, if they had more faith, if they had the right narrative, if they had the truth, then they would have a different experience. And he's cutting through the unbelief because he's got really limited time with these disciples before he ascends. But there's another reason. If he doesn't get through that um, false narrative or that unbelief, here's what happens. They, they get caught up in disillusionment because God failed them, because God didn't meet their expectations. Because, and so they get bitter. You know how many Christians fall off, fall, fall, some away from the faith, some just into a place of complete lethargy and um, uselessness in the kingdom of God because God didn't meet their expectations and they are frustrated and bitter and angry and they just take themselves out of the game. But so often it's because expectations were not based on truth revealed in God's word, but based on personal desires and one's incorrect worldview. So the question for us to ask this morning is, um, where do our expectations for our lives and how God's going to work in our lives come from? Where do our expectations... So first of all, are we aware of what we're expecting? Second of all, where do our expectations come from? Are they rooted in truth? Because Jesus said he had to suffer. And he said anyone who came after him would be treated the same way. But they didn't have the ears to hear it. And so do we have the ears to hear what Jesus says to us? Because if we don't have the ears to hear what Jesus says... We will grow disillusioned with following Jesus. Jesus doesn't want that because there's life nowhere else than in Jesus. And he loves us 
and he wants us to live in the life that he's given us, but that requires being rooted in the truth. And so Jesus speaks the truth incisively, and he gives them opportunity to receive it and reorient themselves, and they do. They get to this point in the road, and Luke says Jesus acted as if he was going further. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Is Jesus, like, deceiving them? No, he's not. He wants to be invited, and this is a a powerful principle. He doesn't force himself upon us. God doesn't control us. God loves us, and God longs to be invited by us into fellowship. And so very often in our lives, God will approach us in some way, even as he approached, Jesus approached these disciples along the road. And he'll journey with us. Maybe that's through another person. Maybe that's through, maybe you're driving in your car listening to a song and God starts to speak to you through the words of the song. Maybe... You're with a friend, and that friend starts to speak words of encouragement, and you start to hear God speaking through them. Well, when we have these moments, God starts to act in our life in new ways. He doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't force us to go deeper with him. He really waits to see what's the desire of our heart. Because he is so worthy of being longed for. And he wants us to love him even as he loves us. So he, our hearts, the hunger, the desire of our hearts matters. We're in active relationship with a personal being. Right? And so God, in relationship with us, longs to be invited And this is a point where so many Christians miss the opportunity to grow in their walks with God. Not not recognizing these places in our lives where God's active and then where we have a choice to say, I'd like more. Stay with me, come with me, meet with me, eat with me, whatever it is. It's metaphorical language for uh, kindling personal relationship with the Lord. Fellowship, just think of fellowship with God. And so these disciples, they've experienced enough. They don't know it's Jesus yet. They just know it's good. And they've experienced enough to say, no, 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 don't go on. Come with us. Come with us. And so Jesus comes and they sit down around the table and then He who is the guest becomes the host and he breaks the bread and he gives thanks to God. And in that act of giving thanks and breaking, he is revealed to them. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting. He is revealed to them. The light goes on. It's really interesting that the text doesn't say exactly what caused him to be seen and recognized 
at that point. So some, some people postulate, well, it's, the, it's communion. It's the act of, of um, celebrating something like the Lord's Supper. Or there's so many spots in the Gospel of Luke where at the breaking of bread, Jesus is recognized. Yeah, that's true. But here's what I think. I, I think that this is the moment where faith has reached a fullness. Faith in these two disciples' hearts has been growing since the point that Jesus encountered them along the road. At every point in this conversation and interaction, they had a decision to open their hearts and keep them open. They did not have to respond to Jesus when he invited them to share what they were talking about. They did not have to explain what was in their hearts, what was confusing and hurtful when he said what things. They did not have to open their hearts to listen to him as he opened the word of God and taught them. They did not have to invite him to come and stay with them. But at each step of the way, these two actively expressed an openness and a desire and they invited and they were invited and they reached this point where there's faith. And the Gospels tell us Jesus always responds to faith. He reveals himself to the believing. Without faith, nobody will see the Lord. It's impossible to please the Lord, says Hebrews 11.6, without faith. And so there's faith. And I believe that it's in the context of that, that faith that Jesus reveals himself. And they have the eyes to see him. And he disappears. And they run seven miles at nighttime. Seven miles back to Jerusalem. Only to find out that the disciples already know. And that they're the second ones bringing the news. Now here's the question I want to end and ask you with. Uh, ask, why are they so happy? Why are they so happy that they are running seven miles in the dark after they've already walked seven miles back to Jerusalem? And don't just say to me, well, Jesus is risen. Okay, listen. You already heard what they were hoping and expecting. They said we were hoping that he would do this and this and this. And none of it's happened. It hadn't happened yet. It still hasn't happened. None of it has happened. All of their expectations for Jesus have not been fulfilled. Nothing that they hoped or expected for has been fulfilled. The only thing they've got is Jesus, risen from the dead. Why are they so happy? Why are they so happy? Anybody know the answer? They got, he's not in their hearts yet. Good try. He's, he's there, but he's not in their hearts yet. We're getting there. Why are they so happy? He's alive. So? I thought they expected all this stuff to be done. What about all that stuff? Isn't that good? Don't they want that fulfilled? Yeah. So what? It's going to be because he's still alive to do it. They've got Jesus. Hope! Hope! Jesus is hope. Hope. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope. 
Jesus is alive and he is hope. He has come through the grave and we're with him. I mean, he isn't in them yet. He's, we're getting there, Chess. But, but we're with him. They're with him. They know that. We're with Jesus and he's alive. What are you going to do? What's the worst that can happen? But my situation's not changed. Yup. And I still want it to change. Yup. That's good. We ought to pray for stuff to change. But I have a living hope in the midst of that. Before, I didn't have a living hope. Now, I've got a living hope. Amen. Yeah. That's all we need. Living hope. So, the stuff that we're going through this morning that was named, that's real, and some of it didn't get named, you know, Dot. Peyton's five years old going on six. And when's the last time you saw her? 2012. Four years. Painful, painful. And you want that to change and you want to see your granddaughter. Right? We got relationships in our lives that are restrained. We got kids that are away from the Lord. We got stuff that hurts. And we got marriages that aren't the way we want them. We got stuff. But inside of that, we've got a living hope. A living hope. Jesus is alive. Jesus is ours. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming with the new creation. We have a hope that is future-oriented. We have a hope that says, my hope isn't that my situation will change. I want it to change, but that's not my hope. My hope isn't in how the people around me will treat me. I hope my spouse will love me. I hope my spouse will be faithful to their promises to me. I hope that, I hope that, I hope that. Those are good hopes. Those aren't my ultimate hope, right? I can't control that. We want control in our lives. We don't have it apart from Jesus. That's one thing that can never be stolen, never be taken. That's why Peter says it's inheritance that can never perish, it can't spoil, and it can't fade. So, Monday morning, Monday morning when it's pressing in on you, or Tuesday afternoon, what are we doing? We have to cultivate that hope. We have to stir up within ourselves. We are responsible for ourselves. We have to stir up within ourselves that hope. It does not come naturally all the time. You know what I'm talking about when I say stuff presses in on you. Somebody described to me this morning the weight of their uh, family situation just pressing in, in a funk. You know what it's like to experience that stuff pressing in on you when life's not as it should. And when you're in that place, you can be honest with the Lord, share with Him your pain, and then kindle. Stir up your hope. Thank you, Lord. You know how to do this? You know how to, you know how to pray? Just you got to pray. We pray until we get through it. Because when we pray... We're kindling awareness of the presence of the risen Jesus with us. He's in me. 
He's united to me, but I have to commune with him, recognize his presence, thank him for his presence, and uh, center myself in his love. Risen and living Jesus that cannot be taken away. Let's, let's um, sing together, Christ is risen from the dead. In Revelation, it says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. He stands at the door and knocks. And so maybe there's some things that hurt today. And we heard the exhortation, we heard the encouragement to invite Jesus into that pain, to name those things that hurt, because he wants to fellowship with us. And so the Lord bless you with faith and with courage to open the door and to invite Jesus to meet you in that place. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.